Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Well, today I want to begin a new series entitled Joy, More Than Frills, Far Greater Than the Fills. And we're going to study through the letter of Philippians as we do this. A few weeks back, KY3 News ran a national story that they picked up from the Associated Press that highlighted the record number of U.S. deaths due to overdose in the last year. 93,000 in the pandemic versus the previous high of 72,000. It was a 29% increase in one year. And the article captured the trajectory when it stated, for Colin McGlashan, last year was an incredibly dark time that began in January with the cancer death of the family's beloved patriarch. Their father's death sent his musician brother Jordan into a tailspin, McGlashan said. Someone can be doing really well for so long and then in a flash deteriorate, he said. Then came the pandemic. Jordan lost his job. It was kind of a final descent. You know, the story captures the downward spiral for countless people over the last year. Now, I've shared in the last year how it's been one of the most difficult in my own life and challenging in so many ways. And while by God's grace, I've not encountered any measure of what I would consider final descent, I have considered this numerous times in multiple ways. How much, oh Lord, is too much? Have you ever been to that point in life where you've asked that question? If you haven't, you're probably still in the nursery. You know what I'm saying? It's not a matter of if you'll ever get there, but when you arrive there and how often and how you'll deal with it when you're confronted with that. You know, in pastoral ministry, I've walked with people through deep suffering, uh, terrible pain and trauma, crisis and loss. And they've all asked very similar questions or this question in very similar ways. And of course, if you would ask myself or, or my family, I can tell you, I won't try to put words in other people's mouths, even though I've heard them come out of their mouths. But if you ask myself or any of my family about our last year and how we've survived each day, we would tell you this, what my mother told me just a few days ago. The joy of the Lord has been her strength. No matter how dark, no matter how heavy the day, the joy that comes from the Lord remains as the strength of our faith. Now, the last year's also held some really high moments of celebration for me too, personally. And I know it has for some of you as well. Next to my wife and kids and some of the things that we've celebrated over the last year, being a part of a church that's ministered to one another so passionately and so faithfully and especially, especially to watch the passion most recently with which our leaders in the church have, have begun to serve to help people reconnect 
I tell you, that's one of the greatest joys of my life. The smallest decisions and the simplest expressions of serving have both produced in the strongest and deepest joy in me, a joy that's been a sustaining strength in my own soul, personally. And so I begin this morning in this way to help you understand where it is that we are going and why it is I've made the decision for this next series. Actually, if you had asked me six months ago what I was going to be preaching on this fall, it was a completely different book, a completely different series that I had already begun to prepare. And sometime after that, I just did a hard shift in what I believe we needed to address in this season. But today I begin a series entitled Joy, More Than Frills, Far Greater Than the Feels. It's a study through Philippians, which incidentally is a letter written to people living in hard times and a very harsh culture. And what we will discover is this, That through the gospel of Jesus Christ, joy from the Lord proves to be far greater than anything that crashes against people. If you think about that statement for a moment, that's a promise that seems absolutely insane to make. Does it not? I mean, are you, I mean, anything or just most things? Anything or some things? Anything or one thing? Or how are you going to spin it so that you can justify making that statement? I'm not planning to spin it. Because it's not my reputation, ultimately, that's on the line if it doesn't come true. It's God's. And I can tell you this. He never falters in coming through on what he's already promised. Philippians is known as the epistle or the letter of joy and encouragement in the midst of adverse circumstances. One scholar qualifies it as Paul's personal manifesto on how to live a life full of joy. And let me just tell you, beginning today, it is not a letter that ignores all the hard, heartache and hardship of life in order to get us to joy. In other words, ignore the difficulty and just focus uh, on the positive. You know, th- this isn't self-help. This isn't, let's not talk about the negative, think positive. That, that's not what this is. Quite frankly, it's something completely different. In chapter 3, Paul will exhort us, rejoice in the Lord. That's what he's telling the Philippians. As a matter of fact, 16 times across four chapters. Not a long letter, but 16 times. Four times per chapter, he echoes the same exhortation. Why? Because Christian joy is found as the focus When we immerse all of our hope and our confidence in the character and the nature of God. It doesn't dismiss, ignore, or deny the hardship and the heartache. Actually, it looks right into the face of it. And that's what God is facing when he promises this to us. When we look to anything other than Christ as our strength in hard and heavy times, we forsake his divine power that holds us close for his work to be carried out in us. 
And when we look to anything other than Christ as our glory and praise in the good times of life, we forsake his transforming power in us by crediting that glory to someone or something else. And so no matter how heavy or dark the burden, nor how high or thrilling the happiness, joy is the strength from God that remains through it all. When we trust to obey Jesus in every season and situation, we find his joy is always greater and is always stronger. Now, if you doubt me, I challenge you just to come every week to find where he is wrong. You see what I did there? I just snookered you into being here every week because I think you should be. I want you to know, friends, the joy of Jesus in you is stronger and lasts longer than anything that will come against you in this life because it is eternal just as he is eternal. What I want you to walk away with today is this. The gospel of Jesus Christ produces joy that strengthens and sustains the Christian life to remain faithful. The gospel of Jesus Christ produces joy that strengthens and sustains the Christian life to remain faithful. So let's go to Philippians I'm going to start with a short passage today, verses 1 and 2. And I want us to introduce this letter to our hearts. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul introduces his letter in this way. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you, And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. Paul writes to the saints in Philippi. And if you really want to understand the context that he is writing to, we have to go back to Acts chapter 16. And beginning in verse 6, it tells us how Paul arrived at Philippi. It tells us that he was planning his missionary journey and was intending to go in one direction, but the Spirit of God, by prayer and discernment, kept saying, no, don't go there. No, don't preach to those people. Not there, not there, not there. You know, sometimes when God says, continues to feel like, uh, or we feel like God continues to say no to us, we can become extremely frustrated, can we not? But the fact of the matter is, the only reason God was telling him no to here, 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 and here was because he had the place he wanted him to go. That's the same with us. And so the Holy Spirit directed them to go to Macedonia through a dream. Paul saw a man in a dream who was was from Macedonia, and he was saying, come, please help us, we need help. And Paul understood that to be the Spirit of God through this process of discernment calling them to Macedonia. Well, when they got to the region of Macedonia, Philippi was the first city that they came to. And Philippi was an interesting and unique city. 
It was a city that had been conquered in the Roman Empire expansion from the the Middle East, if you will. And as the empire expanded and spread, it would conquer a city and then it would utilize that city for the greatest impact of the overall empire. Well, for Philippi, it became a Roman colony and a military outpost. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means a number of things because military cities are far more diverse because people come from so many places and cultures. I have a friend who pastors in, um, in Campbellsville, Kentucky, and, and Fort Campbell is there. And, and when he first went there, he said, I'm not exactly sure how to handle what I'm doing here because we basically have a three-year turnover of people. When someone, the military relocates someone here, we know almost extensive or exclusively we have three years with this person and then they're going to be relocated somewhere else. And so he had to build a strategy of disciple making in his church based on a three-year turnover. Every year a third is leaving, a third is leaving. And not only that, but the diversity of their culture doesn't reflect the whole of the state of Kentucky because people are coming from all over into that part of the world where the military has brought them from. That's what Philippi was like. It was more like Fort Leonardwood than Branson or Ozark. Very different and diverse in people and in culture. That's who Paul is writing the letter to. And Philippi represented the first church when the gospel penetrated into what we now know as Europe. This is the first European church recorded in the scriptures. And there was no synagogue for Paul to preach in. There, were no, there was no Jewish community that had such prevalence that a synagogue had been provided for them. So he went down to the river where he knew people were already congregating. Now, now understand this. In any work of God, we are not the first people to arrive. I don't care who you are. I don't care how phenomenal of a missionary you may be. You're never the first to arrive. God's already gone before you and he's calling you to himself. And so God is already working. And and as Paul began to preach down by the river, disrupting people's weekend, you know what I'm saying? Dude, you're at the river on the beach. This is not where sermons are intended to be preached. And Paul said, I know, that's why I feel so at home here. But as he began to preach, and all of these, shall we say, beach people at the river were listening, a woman by the name of Lydia, who was already a worshiper of God, You hear that? God was already there doing his work. And she knew enough about God. She had likely maybe heard parts of the gospel. While we do not think she had heard the whole gospel, when she heard Paul preach, she received his message and received it with such faith and passion that she was baptized, but it says her whole household was baptized. She had already been having an influence for the gospel, and immediately she demanded that she host them in her home. She wouldn't take no for an answer. I know some people like that. With no public meeting space, their strategy started in homes. And friends, I can tell you this as a church, we know from community group. When church moves into the house, it gets deeply personal. It gets deeply personal. 
And I'll say this to you, until it gets personal, it will never become practical. It'll always be only theoretical. As Paul and Silas were walking one day to where other believers were for prayer, Acts goes on to record that they were being followed and harassed and ultimately confronted by a slave girl. And it says that she was one who was haunted by an evil spirit. Let me just give you a description of this young lady. She was such a freak show from the spirit that inhabited her that people actually profited from her. Like they made money off of her. And Paul became highly irritated by the evil spirit, recognizing it wasn't just the young lady, but there was something behind it that was taking place. And he turns to it and he casts the evil spirit out. And the evil spirit has to leave. And so now with her freak show gone, she was no longer profitable to the people who were profiting off of her. And her owners created a riot, had Paul and Silas beaten and thrown into prison. You think the world is more concerned about your difficulties and your suffrage? I don't think so. They may act like it at times. They may be offended that Paul would heal this young lady from her evil spirit, but they weren't concerned about her, which they had already demonstrated by enslaving and profiting off of her. Rather, they were just concerned about the bottom line. And that's what stirred the riot up. I want to take you to Acts chapter 16 for just a moment this morning. Because so much transpires here to help us understand why Philippians has been written and to glean a maximum amount from it. Acts chapter 16, verses 25 through 34, I want to read because it records what happened next. They've just been beaten and thrown into prison and it says this, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of God to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought up into his house and set food before him. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. What did faith in Christ do for this jailer, this Roman guard? It took him from hopeless despair to rejoicing in the Lord. 
You see, the record of the Philippian jailer provides a snapshot of gospel movement into the city of Philippi and its impact in a person's life. Listen, don't overlook the strategic nature of this as well. Remember what kind of city Philippi was? It was a military outpost. And while the first convert we know of was not uh, a a, a centurion or a, a Roman guard, it was Lydia and her family and likely others had converted as well in this time. The conversion that broke the ice strategically is this Philippian jailer, a military man, a hardened Roman guard whom God miraculously brought from death to life. To see how immediately here the joy of the Lord becomes strength for the soul to trust and obey his commands We can highlight what has transpired, understanding where Philippians is going to lead us, but also understanding the context within which the gospel is moving forth. I want us to see today three truths that reveal how it is that joy strengthens and sustains the Christian life. Three truths that we will glean this morning of how joy strengthens and sustains the Christian life. And the first truth that I want you to see is this, that joy is the power of God's presence in life. Joy is the power of God's presence in life. It's not just a feeling of something from God, but rather it's God himself. What happens to the Philippian jailer is not a rare event. While it is unique in its own distinction, it is not inherently rare. Rather, it is the reality of God coming into a person's life at salvation from hopeless and despair to hope and joy unto glory. You see, when a person believes in Jesus by the gospel, repenting of their sin and placing their faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit immediately fills that person's life with the consummating presence of God. It is the Holy Spirit that says, this is more than just the world's offering. This is from God and God alone. And that present not only consumes, but consummates God, such that it is the presence of the Spirit of God that comes into our life that's, that's uh, at salvation, that seals us in that salvation, the Scriptures teach, until the day Christ returned to take us home. From the beginning, there is an eternal promise and guarantee of our salvation in Jesus Christ. Friends, listen to me. No one believes the gospel and is filled with the Holy Spirit but remains absent of joy. That never happens. Never. And I can feel the electrical synapses in the back of your gray matter going, well, there's a couple of times. I am here to labor to convince you, no, there was not. It may have felt different, it may have seemed different, but it was never absent. Joy is the reality of God in our life, the experiential state of why God created people. 
Why? God created people to glorify him in a relationship with him. Now, I will offer this. It could be, it may be, that, that you entered in or bought into some kind of a Christian culture instead of being born again by the Spirit of God. And I want to press upon us tenderly and compassionately, but I want you to consider your own moment of salvation, your own time when you came to conversion, to new birth, to regeneration, when, when the work of God in your heart pricked and convicted your heart such that it moved you? Has there ever been a time? Because true Christianity, according to the Bible, is not just attaining to specific intellectual positions. And biblical Christianity is not just about uh, experiencing some kind of emotional movement within you, but not, not discounting those things, but it's far more than that, friends. It is the death of you in Christ by faith. And until you come to the place in your life where you, by the conviction of Holy Spirit, say, no more me, all of you, Jesus Christ. And you, by faith, surrender your life to him. There will be no new you. There is no new creation. You have not been born again. And Jesus says you must be born again. Very likely what has transpired is you saw other people who you knew as or thought of as Christians. And you adopted some of the moral principles that you knew they held and found that they were attached to or found in the Bible. And so you said, I believe that moral principle or that moral activity and so that makes me a Christian. No, no it doesn't. You like some of the songs that we've sung or some of the messages and the what they do to you. And so you've said, you know what? I can entertain. I can even put up with. I like this. I've listened to it all week long. But if the song's not playing, the feeling's not stirring. You've bought into the fact that you think you're a Christian Because you've adopted some of the same practices of people that you know to be or think of to be Christians. Some of you said, you know what, I made a decision when I was a child or at some point in the past. And in that decision, I decided to ask Jesus into my heart. And when I did that, I did, I prayed the prayer that the pastor or the leader told me to pray. But when I walked away, that seemed to be all there was. Friends, I'm not trying to unsave you today. I can't do that. But I want the filter to be so biblical and so Jesus-filled, the filter of your discernment in your own faith. That approaching it presses each one of us to recollect that moment when we were made new from within. And today, if 
If you've never been born again by faith in Jesus Christ, there's a reason the joy of Jesus Christ doesn't remain in you. Because it's never been put in you. And you've had a lot of instances where you've experienced something similar or near. But friends, I'm telling you, God came close to us in Jesus Christ to become like us in Jesus Christ. That he might make us new so that he could make us like him. That's salvation. That's what I'm asking you to consider for your life. Joy is not just a state of mind. It's not just a feeling or an emotion. It's not only or or merely a sensation or an experience. It is nothing less than any of these, but it is something far greater than any one of these. And it's, it's not something we get from God and they are, then we are commanded by God to maintain it for God. No, that's not Christianity. Listen to me. I want you to hear these four words and do not let them leave your mind for the next four months, the remainder of this year. God is our joy. And if we have God, we have his joy. There's nothing in this world or beyond this world that can change that. But if you do not have God, you will constantly struggle to find something that is fleeting. And because God is our joy, it is only maintained by looking to him and trusting him to fill us with himself but the true glory of uh, glory of joy is that its remaining present in us is never a matter of maintenance and there's never a day we have to shut it down to fix it up bb king saying the thrill is gone oh the thrill is gone he did a little better than i did but friends god's joy is never gone when his presence remains Joy in the life of a Christ follower is the presence of God that constantly is new and renewing and eternally lasting. I titled this series, Joy More Than Frills, Far Greater Than the Fills. And uh, feels. I know I'm going to get made fun of that for the next season of my life because I pronounce it correctly. And if my kids hear these messages, which I hope they do, they'll be the first to make fun of me. The reason I titled this series this was to intentionally confront the pseudo-substitutes that the world offers, reducing joy to emotion or feeling or some cheap thrill that we can get in the world. I repeat to us, joy from God is not absent of these things, but it is so much more and it is so much greater I also chose this image intentionally for the series because we're going to learn the power of God's joy in our life. That no matter what hits us, joy remains when we look to Jesus. You see, joy is that ever-constant reality of God's presence within us. It is his light shining in us so he can shine through us. It is his strength to endure that holds us, that sustains us when all the world around is dark, when it is threatening and crashing against us. It is his strength to obey when the world goes the other way. 
We often think of joy as smiles and happiness when we speak of it, but that's only a surface portion. I didn't say it wasn't present. I just said it's only a surface portion of joy. Joy is the strength for every circumstance. Joy is the gladness and the goodness of all of life with God. Joy is our wisdom amidst confusion. Joy is our gratitude amidst grief. It is the soothing balm for overwhelming sorrow, pain, and hardship. Joy is strength from God's presence within to shine the light of Christ through our lives into the dark world to declare his glorious praise. That's the first truth that I want you to see today, that joy is the power of God's presence in life. The second truth I want you to see today is this, joy empowers through any and every circumstance. Joy empowers us through any and every circumstance. We will learn this truth as we walk through the entire letter of Philippians, but we've already seen it. Joy is not just about the initial experience of believing in Jesus, but it is the lasting reality of walking in daily relationship with him as well. You see, the encounter with the jailer began most likely with the jailer being one of the guards who beat Paul and Silas before he threw them into prison. Now you think about the impact of what's transpiring here. You think about the reaction of the jailer and how quickly he was broken down to the point of absolute despair where he was about to take his own life because he knew if the prisoners escaped, his life would be taken cruelly from him. It was more merciful for him and honorable as a soldier to fall on his own sword out of failure than it was to face the tribunal that would convict him for the same. He was likely the one who beat Paul and Silas and he had had to entertain their singing all night. And you can only imagine that for the jailer, he wants to get some sleep sometime during the night. And these two yahoos keep singing and initially it's only stirring the place up. But listen, he was not the only one listening. Acts records, this is Luke writing, that the entire jail were listening to these two men. Why? Because their songs were soothing something deeper inside of them than anything else had soothed before. And the more they sang, the deeper it penetrated into the hearts and lives. And even though they were in a dungeon of despair, sitting against all the grossness of life, in that place, there was something that was soothing to them and that salved the reality of their situation. So they started praying and singing hymns and an expression of joy overwhelmed the place. You see, friends, joy is not just what happened to the jailer when he got saved. Joy is what put the song and the prayer in the heart of Paul and Silas when they got in the jail. It was motivating that praise the whole time. Joy motivated their prayers and their praise, listen to me, as their strategy to stay close to Jesus in the worst circumstances. You can only imagine the other prisoners and even the jailer too were likely thinking how could they possibly be happy about a time like this? How could they possibly be anything other than angry, frustrated, and overwhelmed by the reality of the situation? And for Paul and Silas, it wasn't about going, man, this is so great. This is where we wanted to be. 
This is in this stench of a place. This is where we wanted to spend our night. No. It was a strategy. It was a, it was a wartime mentality for them that they weren't going to let the situation of their life overwhelm the reality of their soul. And so they began warring back against the one who was trying to steal their joy. And out of joy, they were praying and singing praises. It was a strategy to stay close to Jesus in the worst of life circumstances. And in that moment, the power of God that had come at salvation, that brought brings overflowing joy through his presence becomes the sustaining strength to seek him and enjoy his presence and renew the joy of his salvation in the midst of their circumstance. Friends, joy is a great motivator. The greatest that motivates us to ask and seek for his increasing presence at all times. You see, at times, joy looks like standing on a mountain peak with arms raised in victorious celebration, while at other times, joy is simply returning to the bed you didn't want to get out of at the end of the day you didn't want to face, but you've survived. And I know some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Many of you do. That which warms our heart impresses on us and it stays with us it draws us back and gives us sustaining strength to carry on it consumes our lives because of the comfort the strength and the gladness we find in it and friends listen this is how joy motivates and this is so telling and instructive for us when our heart is most and most regularly warmed by that which is not of Christ we can know that we are sourcing our life from something other than the gospel and from something other than God's word. Now, I have to take a moment to turn and address mental health in this series. Because it is the primary joy attacker today. So often we've turned mental health into the crisis of focus that we treat. Instead of looking for, real, looking for the real crisis of which mental health is only a symptom. That's a, that's a philosophy driven by the world. We treat the symptom, we don't look for the root cause. And listen to me, I, I want you to hear what I'm saying. Depression and anxiety, and, and I know there's a myriad of other, but I'm going to focus on these. They're not only real, but we've elevated them to a place in this generation today where people feel like they're actually missing out on something if they don't struggle with it. makes them want it depression and anxiety friends have always been with us that's why Paul will tell us in chapter 4 be anxious for nothing that's not a different kind of anxiety they had back then that we ours is worse today Paul literally meant that you can be anxious for nothing And we think, and wrongly so, that because the Bible doesn't use today's terminology, it doesn't have anything to say about these issues. <clears throat> Hashtag wrong. Anything that steals joy is not of God, it's not from God. Therefore, we must learn how to rid our life of the root cause. It means we've got to get to it. Or we've got to learn how to address it in a godly manner, not to manage it 
but so that we understand what it means to overcome it in life. The context for Philippians begins with a girl in a mental health crisis. Don't forget that. And the world had monetized her suffrage to profit from her freakiness. Because that's what the world does. How can I use you for me? They were so disinterested in her cure that they rioted when she was actually cured. I hope you understand. I'm not telling you every mental health issue is a matter of casting out a demon. We, We have great scientific developments and discoveries today to tell us it is far more than only that. But friends, the problem is we run to our physician and we forget the great physician. We cut him out of our health care. And there is no answer for it without him being at the center of it. When we fail to press to the root cause, we try to live or survive in a broken world that uses these things to manipulate, to control, and to deceive. Instead of facing them and continuing to obey that which we know God has led us. You see, so often we use our mental health issues as an get away from God and he'll not be mad at us opportunity. But God is the one who created your mind. And the Bible says he is transforming your whole life by the renewal of your mind. Joy strengthens us by shining the light of God's truth into our mind and heart in order to confront the lies and the deceit that attack us to steal our motivation to even try. Is that not what depression is? A lack of motivation to do anything that is healthy? That's at least a significant part of it. You see, sometimes joy strengthens us to overcome and annihilate the attacks. And sometimes joy strengthens us to persevere and endure every attack, knowing they will likely never go away, but God will bring good to us through them. When our heart is filled with gospel power, whether it's warmed or comforted, whether it is stricken or emboldened, We source our life from Christ's power and we have our life shaped by the obedience to his commands for his glory. You see, the Bible proclaims that our joy in the Lord is sufficient for any situation. Joy to overcome our grief and sorrow, Nehemiah 8.10 tells us. Joy to fill us with more and greater gladness and pleasure than the world, Psalm 4.7 tells us. Joy to move us to worship at the work of God's hand, Psalm 92.4 tells us. And joy to renew and to sustain us because Christ is always with us and his power is always at work in us. So when Paul says be joyful always, it is our command as Christ followers not to put on our happy face and to fake it, but to keep our eyes on Jesus for his power to know and to do the will of God because we are being continually filled by his presence and renewed by his power. Often joy will include a smile, but not always. And in those hard and heavy times, joy becomes our strength to persevere and to endure. 
And in the good times, joy is the deeper pleasure that reminds us who is with us and that his glory is in us. Joy is not the light at the end of the tunnel. It's a light inside saying the darkness will not overwhelm. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. It doesn't say, when I'm in the valley, I can see the top, so I know I'm not going to stay here. No, this may be it. But if it is, it'll be the biggest IT you've ever seen. Because it'll be more glorious for the name of Christ. Joy strengthens us because it's the reality of God's presence filling us for his work and for his purpose. The third truth I offer to you today, and I'll close with this one. Joy only comes from God's grace and peace. That's why Paul writes, grace to you and peace from the Lord Jesus Christ. It only comes from God's grace and peace. That's his introductory expression because it reveals the source of true joy. Every and any other emotion or feeling, experience or strength is weak and waning, frail and fleeting. But joy shines through every storm and that only comes from God's grace and God's peace in Jesus Christ. Friends, the gospel of Jesus Christ produces joy that strengthens and sustains the Christian life to remain faithful. This entire season, I will be laboring for one thing in these messages, your joy in Jesus and increasing ways. And so I begin this morning with the only place from which it can come, the grace and the peace of God. And that only comes by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Will you bow your heads with me?